Good morning to you. Welcome, welcome, one and all, to those who are worshiping with us online and to those who are listening on the telephone. Uh, my name is Doug Baker. I am one of the pastors. It has been so long since I've gotten to be here with you. I'm so excited to get to uh, spend some time together with you. We get to talk about God's Word today. Uh, we're digging in uh, our uh, study of Matthew here on this uh, as Lent continues to march along. We're heading toward Easter uh, it's a beautiful thing. So I'm very excited to be here. I don't know if you can tell that, but I'm very excited to be here. Um, today, we are uh, going to continue along in, uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. Last week, Pastor Trent talked about and walked us through the very first part of Matthew 12. Um, and if you weren't able to be here, just, just let me give you a sense. Uh, as he was talking, uh, he used the conversation about Sabbath uh, to help us understand how we put extra burdens on ourselves in our Christian walk, how we, and this is one of the words he like made up for last week, and I loved it, we tend to religify our faith. Eh? Good word. If you're going to make up words, you got to make up good ones. So he's doing good. Uh, those extra hoops, they're not always biblical. Uh, in fact, usually they're tradition-based or they're preferentially based. And they often ultimately get in the way of Jesus being number one, Jesus being first in our lives. Uh, and so that's what he was talking about last week. He ended his message with a question that I want to end with the same question with this message as well. This message, I want to end with that very same question. Now, if you remember the question, you know what's coming. And if you don't, <laughs> get ready. It's going to be a surprise. Now... We're going to kind of go through the rest of Matthew 12, but we don't have time to unpack all of it in depth. We can't get into all of it. I don't want to give up on it, though. I want, to, I want to make sure that we're talking about the rest of Matthew 12 as well. But there's some verses right at the very end of 12 that I think we really need to focus in on as they culminate this message, this movement that's been happening in the Gospel of Matthew for, for several chapters now. Uh, there seems to be this movement thematically. And, uh, and I want to zoom in on some passages at the very end, but I don't want to miss out on what's happening in the rest of 12 because uh, there's some really good stuff. There's a big chunk of scripture that, that, that illustrates and, and brings us along on a journey that, that, that God's been wanting us to be on this whole time. And so let me just recap for you what is in between what Trent was saying and the very end of chapter 12. Now, if you remember, we ended uh, last week with the Pharisees on the Sabbath plotting murder. Not a good thing. Um, in that moment now, Jesus knows what's happening. He knows what's being uh, contrived against him. And so he, he steps away from the town, the area that he's been teaching. And he goes to a different area of Galilee. He stays kind of in the countryside. He just moves to a different area of it. Um, to kind of move away from, from what the Pharisees are doing. Now, people still come, and his ministry still continues, and he continues to heal and to teach, and the Pharisees continue to pursue him with their malevolent intentions. But something really cool happens, something just... Uh, I never, it never popped into my head. I never realized this before as I was reading in preparation for today about what's going on in Matthew chapter 12. And the reason it popped into my head is because I happened to be in this room when Pastor Chris was preaching several weeks back, and he was preaching on Matthew 9. Uh, Matthew 9. And 
I remembered some of the things that he had said, and then as I was reading through this passage, I'm like, wait a minute, didn't that already happen? So I scroll on back to Matthew 9, and sure enough, all the things that were happening in Matthew 9, the same ministries that Jesus is doing, the same uh, teachings, the same healings, the same uh, demon casting out stuff, all of that has happened already, and now it's happening again. It's almost like the gospel writer, the, it's almost like Matthew wants us to catch this. Uh, don't miss what Jesus is doing. Don't miss who Jesus is. I mean, again, he's healing people, just like in Matthew 9. In chapter 12 here, he is restoring sight to the blind and, and telling people, please don't talk about this, just like in chapter 9. And again, he's casting out demons, just like in chapter 9. And again, he's being accused of being a, a, a minion of Satan, just like in chapter 9. It's all happening again. Now, there's one big difference between that chapter and chapter 12. And, and I, think, I think the gospel writer is doing this on purpose. Because as you're reading along, as you're getting the whole picture of what Jesus is doing, you're supposed to be getting a sense that the eyes of the people are supposed to be opening. Oh, I think we know who this is. This is probably, this could be, is this the Messiah? Yes, we should be wondering about this. It's becoming clearer and clearer. The Messiah, the Messiah. Now, he doesn't explicitly say so, Matthew doesn't in chapter 9, but this time he pauses. He pauses because he doesn't want us to miss it again if we missed it before. He wants to make sure we're making the connection of all these things that Jesus is doing about who he truly is. And so, to help us know, to help us see, to open our eyes, he quotes from the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah, he quotes God, who predicts the Messiah, who says who his servant is going to be and what his servant is going to do. And he says this in Matthew 12, here's my servant, the one I have chosen, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. And in his name, his name, his name is hope. Don't miss it. Don't miss who's coming. Don't miss who's here. Don't miss this Jesus who is among you right now. He's the only place that you're going to find life. He's the only source of connection to God. He's the only point of everything forever and always. He's not just the passport to heaven someday. He is the embodiment of the kingdom of heaven today, right now, right where you live. He's the place where you're going to find out who you are. He's the place where you're going to find out who God is. And to be with him is the reason to be alive. Matthew, as he's writing this, pauses in chapter 12 as he tells us what's happening with Jesus to make sure we don't forget who we're hearing about. And now this, all of this happening, all of this movement leads us to the passages I want to uh, zoom in on today. And we come across some very strange sounding verses. And you almost wonder, are these here on purpose? And, and, and I'm here to tell you, yes, they are. So hear this God's word in Matthew 12. We're going to start at verse 43. 
Jesus is speaking to the crowd around him, and he says, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. And then it says, I'll return to the house I left. And when it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order, but unoccupied. And then it goes and it takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. Now, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside and they wanted to speak with him. And and someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside and they want to speak to you. And he replied to him, who's my mother? And who are my brothers? And he pointed to his disciples and he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, when you speak, we want to listen. When you say what is true and when Jesus is speaking, we want to catch it. So help us catch what he's saying to us today. In his precious name we pray. Amen. So what does that have to do with casting out demons and and healing people and, and, and the stuff that he's been talking about? What does that have to do with what Matthew is talking about quoting Isaiah and Jesus is the one to be paying attention to? What does that have to do with anything? The spirit is cast out and goes around and hanging out in arid places. And, and then it comes back and it finds the house unoccupied. And, and who are my mother and who are my brothers? And these are the ones who are my brother, brothers and sisters. And what, what, what is that? And I think what's happening here, I, I would say, that, that Jesus is using a moment. He's taking the example of something, family in this case, uh, to bring out the truth, a greater truth that we would catch. He's using as an example something so that we won't miss uh, the underlying reality. I think right now here he is pointing out, he's trying to teach us about priorities. Priorities in life. Priorities about uh, what we, where we go, what we pursue, who we are. So think about where he's at right now. He's, he's in a small town. He's in a house. He's teaching. He's healing. He's doing all the things that he does. Uh, and he's, he's in this small little house, and there are crowds all around the building, like oh, just tons and tons of people clogging up the doorway, in the windows, peering in, trying to get in there, people hanging from the ceiling, and, and, and they're just trying to get close to the teacher. And on the outskirts of that crowd, they're kind of pushed off to the side as the needy push in for just a chance to connect with Jesus. Outside there, there's a small group of people, and they're actually related to Jesus. They're blood relatives. Don't they deserve the highest priority? If anybody should have access to someone, is somebody who's in their family, as complicated as family can be. What's more important, right, to, 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 to care for our kids, to honor our fathers and mothers, to care for our brothers and sisters? Jesus is taking this amazing blessing, this beautiful thing, family, and he says, now, this is an example. This is probably an ultimate example, but it's going to have implications for everything. And I want you to reprioritize. I want you to understand how I'm redefining all things. 
Jesus uses this moment in Matthew 12 to, to rewrite where we connect and to understand what actually matters. See, we live in the world, and because we live in the world, there are all kinds of things that we think matter. They feel important. There, there are all kinds of blessings that we really love to receive. There are all kinds of good things in this world, in this life, and they are good things. Many of them, so many of them are blessings from God. Think about it. Think about, I mean, family. We're talking about family. Family is amazing. As complicated as they are, family are amazing. They drive us crazy, and they're awesome. There's no one in this world who can get under my skin quite as much as my wife. And she is spectacular. Thank you. There are other good things. I mean, we just, we just spent a week down in uh, Florida. Oh, that was nice. Got to hang out at Disney World. I almost got that close to making a lightsaber, my own lightsaber. <laughs> it's weird, and who cares? And it's awesome. You know, people, some people love sports. Some people are all in on this March Madness thing. I haven't, can't tell you how many people I've heard about their brackets, and my bracket is blown. I don't know what's going on. And my bracket's really who? And who's this weird team that's going to be like they're playing this weekend? And I don't know where they came from. They shouldn't have beat so-and-so. People love sports. We, we love to see our kids accomplish amazing things out on those courts and fields and in the ways they do. Some of, my, some of my favorite moments raising my kids, sitting out in the auditorium as my son is honking on that trombone. And he's hating every minute of it, but I'm prouder than you can believe. Or, or, or Will. I mean, he did football a little bit in middle school, junior high. And then, uh, and then he got into theater and to go to his plays and to watch my son doing Hamlet. Wow. It's beautiful. It's great. I've been told, I've heard from somebody who even stands up here that fishing is fun. <laughs> Catching slimy, slimy fish. Or what about the guy that's like, you know, there's nothing better than running after a golf ball. I, I, I don't get it. I, I love you all, but I don't get it. Now, I have my own things. I am seriously contemplating getting a Harley this year. Mm-hmm. We've all got our stuff. We've got our stuff that we love, the cool things. And some, some of it, sometimes it's church stuff, these God-blessing things, you know, with this ministry we love to do, volunteering, being involved, blessing people, and, and getting to share our life together. And all of it is good. These are good things. They're great blessings. These are ways that God cares for us. And not one of them is Jesus himself. They may have reflections in them of life in Christ. They may have echoes in them of the beauty of God working in this world. But they're not him. Only Jesus is Jesus. And that's what he's talking about here. There's this beautiful passage in Colossians 1 that really, really hammers down on just how important Jesus himself is. 
not what we can accomplish for him, not the great ministries that need to happen in his name, that he himself is important, the most important. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church, and he is the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. In everything he would come first. It's easy for me, I don't know how it is for you, but I forget sometimes that very simple thing. I get caught up in the work of the church. I get caught up in the blessings of God. I begin to think that somehow that it's enough that God is blessing me, and, and so now I can just enjoy this life that God has given to bless me because I know I'm not going to hell, and I dodge that bullet, and what else is there? And as long as, I'm, as long as I'm doing positive things in his name, that, that, that I'm on the right track. As long as I'm teaching the right things, then at least then I'm on the right track. But Jesus didn't just come to, to, to give us this get out of hell free card. He came to reshift, reorient all of creation to be in alignment with the kingdom of God. Especially the children of God, the family of God, to be in alignment with the kingdom of God, that all that we are about is about what the kingdom is supposed to be about, that all that we are is who God says that we are, that there is no other deviation, that everything that defines us and everything that we are about is in alignment with Jesus Christ, period. That's why he came. That as we live as students of Jesus, that we, as, as we live as disciples of Jesus, as we live as followers of Jesus, that he always and forever comes first. Which doesn't mean you can't have a Harley. I keep telling myself that. But if that Harley ever gets in the way of Jesus, it goes. I'll burn it. That there is nothing more important to us than him, including our families. You, you want to know how Jesus has been, you want to know how Matthew has been building up to this moment? Jesus' teachings, Jesus' actions, Jesus' words, everything that's been going, he's been building up to this lesson, this moment. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, leading up to this moment, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And in case we're thinking it's just about family, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He's not pulling any punches. 
Everything, all of it is for Jesus. It's about him. He is the gift. He is the joy. He is the point of existence. Jesus is pushing back against everything, everything that we would say is amazing. It's a gift from God, and it should be very important. I mean, this is a gift from God. We, why isn't this elevated? It should be elevated. He's pushing back against all of that and making himself the center of our universe because he knows And we need to know that if he, he and his body, if he alone is the most important, then all of those other things, all those other gifts, all those other blessings, all those other things finally live within a zone where they can make sense, where they can be used appropriately, where they can be the blessings they're supposed to be, but not the priority they're not supposed to be. That if Jesus is number one in my life, only then am I the husband I'm supposed to be. If Jesus is number one in my life, only then am I the dad that I'm supposed to be. If Jesus is number one in my life, only then is heading off to Florida and enjoying Disney World going to be what it is supposed to be. Only if Jesus is first in my life do any of those other things make any sense at all. Jesus redefines everything. And that suddenly, suddenly now that makes that, 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 that whole verse thing about the spirit being cast out of a person, suddenly that makes it all make sense. When you look, look at that in light of what we've just been talking about, now that makes sense. The spirit cast out of a man and comes back to find it empty and, and, and makes it worse. Because, again, we misunderstand often what it means to be believers in Jesus. We often think that if we're going to succeed in this Christian life, what we need to do is, while we're enjoying God's blessings, we need to get rid of bad stuff. You know, we need to clean house. As long as, as, long as we're, you know, we're getting the blessings, and as long as we're fighting hard against sin, as long as we're fighting hard against temptation, as long as we're fighting hard to, to, to clean things up and, and, and push back against a fallen world... Then, then, then we're succeeding in this Christian life. And what we're being told right here in these passages, no, that's not success. Because even if we clean house, we do not succeed until and unless we are refilling ourselves with Jesus and his spirit. He still needs to be first. He needs to be the one that fills us up. And if we don't do that, we can get rid of all the temptation in our lives. We can be perfect and sinless and, 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 and wonderful and have all these amazing blessings from God. And we will still be a failure because we will be an empty house. There's an empty house in my neighborhood. There's no sign in the front that says it's empty. The neighbors didn't tell me they were moving out. I drive by it every day. And I can feel that it's empty. You ever drive by an empty house? It feels vacant. It feels like there's nothing happening there. It feels like no one's there. And I'll tell you what, if I was somebody with nefarious purposes, I could go in there and make a mess. Get me some copper. Success in this Christian life is one thing. To be more and more filled with Christ and to receive his life as our own. 
That's the only thing. It's the only thing that matters because it's the only thing that lasts into eternity. All right. So now last week, Pastor Trent was challenging us to look at the ways that we restrict our faith and choose, ooh, here are a couple other really fun words. We choose religiosity. Uh, We choose churchianity instead of a relationship with Christ. Today, we've been talking about the same thing, just the other side of it. We've been talking about how we pursue blessings and we think of good things, even the good things that God gives in this world, and then we make those things more important than being close with Christ. And now the question that Pastor Trent asked, what impact does it have on the people around us when the children of God behave like the children of God? Or, or maybe a little bit, bit of a tweak on that. What does it look like when the church wants to be with Christ more than anything else? Now, at the end of his message, he ran out of time. He couldn't explore the answer to that. I don't want to leave it as a rhetorical question. I want to paint a picture of what it looks like when the church and Jesus, when, when, when for the church, Jesus is the highest priority because we are given pictures of it. Through history, we are given pictures of it in our Bibles. And we should be inspired by it. Now, I'm going to share a picture of what it looks like, and I'm stealing this unashamedly from another preacher. I was watching a sermon like a week and a half ago, and I was, I was inspired by the words that this preacher said. His name is Francis Chan. You've probably heard of him. And he painted this picture. Think about the church that you hear about in the book of Acts. Think about when things were just beginning and people were falling in love with Jesus and it wasn't popular. It wasn't popular. It was, it was something you had to do and you took your life into your own hands. But people were falling in love with Jesus and nobody had anything and nobody really, they, didn't, they, didn't, they weren't full of resources and they just, all they had was Jesus. And so they would spend every single day with each other, hanging out and being Jesus followers and talking about how it changed their lives and what it meant. They would be in love with and follow Jesus. And, and they would be infectious. It was this weird thing every day as they spent time together and they ate together, they broke bread together. And if somebody over here was, was, was struggling because they, they didn't have a certain resource, I would just take my Harley and I would sell it. So they could have what they needed. And daily, people were coming to Christ. And then miracles, miracles, the Spirit began moving and descended upon God's people. And miracles started happening. It was like a normal reality. There were miracles. People were speaking in languages they didn't even know. And and, and people were rising from the dead. And people were being freed from prison spontaneously, the shaking of the earth. And this is the church, and there's power. And now thousands of people are falling in love with Jesus because of the church being the church. And Jesus is the most important thing. And And then there's this guy. There's this guy named 
Stephen, and his story is one particular moment in time. He's not famous, famous for going out and, and starting a bunch of churches. He's famous for one thing, Stephen. He dies. His story isn't a long one of being a follower of Jesus Christ. It is a blip in time. He hears about Jesus. He falls in love with who Jesus is, and he gives his life for it. And people, he's talking the gospel. He's proclaiming the gospel, and people are listening to it, and they're angry about it, and they grab him, and they shake him, and they say, don't talk about Jesus. We don't want to hear it. And he says, I can't help it. He's everything to me. I can't help it. i got to talk about Jesus. If you don't stop talking about Jesus, we're going to kill you. He's like, I'm not going to stop. And they throw him down, and they grab rocks, and they're bumbling with him rocks and he's on his knees he's dying and he can't stop talking about Jesus and as he dies he can see he can see Jesus and he won't stop even as he dies and you think that doesn't have power there's a coat check guy over here named Saul and he's hearing this and he's just an angry guy and he's going to kill all the Christians and he doesn't care. But don't you tell me for one minute that this gospel proclamation didn't plant a seed in that man. And you get this picture in our Bibles, stories of sold out children of God and the unstoppable power of the Holy Spirit. And a gospel that changes the world. This is a portrait of an unstoppable church. And if you think for a minute that this only happened 2,000 years ago, it still happens today. You hear the stories of, of, the, of the church in China, the underground church in China. And these people who, if they own a Bible, they can go to jail. And if they say the name Jesus, they could be killed for it. And they could be ostracized and cast out of their families. And they'll lose everything. And yet somehow, millions and millions and millions of people are falling in love with Jesus as they whisper his name in the quiets of underground places where they worship because they won't be stopped to talk about Jesus. I was inspired as I heard that message. And then Francis Chan said this. Now, folks, Take a look at our churches. They seem pretty stoppable. Just have a pastor leave who's a great preacher and bring in somebody who's not quite as good. Churches close because of that all the time. Or the band stinks. I don't like where they're going with the music. Well, you're going to change my worship time? I'm not coming. And I'm not saying, I'm not telling you that being unstoppable is about what we're accomplishing for Christ. That's not what makes us unstoppable. What makes us unstoppable as the church is when we don't deviate, when we cast our eyes on Jesus Christ and him alone, when we're unwilling to make anything else more important than him, than he living in us, through us, he'll do it. He'll do the unstoppable stuff. As long as we give him the driver's seat and we fill our vision with him, that if I'll think of myself as a child of God first, if just Jesus consumes my life, oh, 
does he consume yours? Let's pray. Father God, Lord Jesus, oh, how we want to love you. Be the vision in our eyes. Be the hope in our lives. Be the one who speaks. Be the one who tells us what's true. Be our only hope. Be our only joy. Be everything. Be the one with supremacy in our lives and in this church. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen.